Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Morning. Good to be with you this morning, guys. Hey, I'm excited because... We just opened up Hope House back up again. Um, for many of you who don't know, we opened up this homeless long-term youth shelter for needs of homeless kids between ages basically 14 and 18 that got put on our lap about three years ago when we were at the other campus on Park. Um, and then when we moved, we had to do some rehabbing. And for a lot of times, the kids were living with my wife and I in our house, and then we dispersed them out to some other places. And but thank you for the team, especially Felipe, the Spanish ministry. A lot of people are English rehab the house over here uh, for the kids to live now. So what we're asking you guys, if you want to participate in that ministry, um, we're looking for people to bring some meals in for the kids and stuff. You can eat with them. They could even cook over there. We have a full kitchen and everything, or cook a house and bring it in or whatever you want to do. Um, so we're starting to move the kids in um, uh, from around. We, we network. A lot of it was coming from the schools and storefront, a lot of places, but with COVID, it kind of put a little hold. We're not too sure where a lot of them are. We had a whole list of kids, but with movement going on, we're trying to see. But I know, trust me, that house is going to get filled up really quick um, if we've seen the trends of what we've been dealing with the last couple of years. But we get to be a blessing to those kids to see them not only come around a church family and see the love of God through the church family, um, that they would be encouraged. Amen. So we just want to invite you to be a part of that ministry. Hey, we're continuing on with our sermon series, um, Freedom in Crisis. We're going to be looking at this morning, Discipline and Grace. This morning, we're going to be bouncing a little bit here, specifically in these passages, Corinthians 9, Romans, specifically Romans chapter 5. So if you want to open your Bible to that, um, we're going to be jumping into there. Many of you, when you were younger, you would go to elementary school and, and you would play on the playground and they had a thing called a teeter-totter. Some might know it as a seesaw. I don't know if you remember those days when it used to go up and down. A teeter-totter is a long, narrow board supported by a single pivoting point, most commonly located in the midpoint between both ends, right? And because the seesaw is balanced, all the gravitational potential energy lost by the rider that is moving downward becomes a gravitational potential energy of the rider moving upward. The transfer of gravitational potential energy to gravitational potential energy is perfect. That's how discipline and grace works. There's a pivot between discipline and grace, right? And so as we talk about discipline and grace this morning, it's pivotal that we get a healthy balance of two, realizing that both are important, but we still live under grace and not under works. And I'm hoping that's what we've been talking as we talk about this freedom in Christ. I've been laying out some statements to you, and here's the statement I have for you this morning. Do I trust, do I trust discipline to make me strong? or grace to strengthen me. I'm going to say that again. Do I trust discipline to make me strong, or grace to strengthen me? Guys, we're continuing on this sermon series, and we've been really looking at it through the book of Romans, though we've been jumping to other passages. Romans has been the main books. We're specifically going to be in Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans is a powerful book, and it takes us through a journey. And with the first three chapters, we kind of looked at a little bit a couple of weeks ago as we looked at the issue of sin in the first three chapters. And then, then, we, then we looked at the issue of sacrifice. As you go into chapter three a little bit on from there, this is what the issue of sacrifice. We looked about that last week. 
Then it goes on to sanctification, about how God begins to sanctify us and set us apart as we're looking. We're going to look a little bit about that this morning. And then it ends with service as you get the latter part of the book of Romans. I call it the four S's of Romans, right? Sin, sacrifice, sanctification, and service. If you're looking through the book of Romans, you'll see that being played out. And so we're getting to about the middle of the book of Romans this morning. So let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and grace. And I pray this morning as we enter in to understand some truths. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit will speak to us. Father, we believe that your Holy Spirit still speaks. And he speaks through your word. He speaks through the community. He, he speaks when we're in community with one another, Lord. And so, Father, I pray this morning as I bring your word, I pray that many would understand the words that I bring, that you'll get clarity in the words. Father, you make your word plain to us. That, Father, we learn to be free in Christ. We learn to know what it means to have freedom in Christ. That we're not bound by the works or the law or about being religious, but we're, we're free in your spirit. For where the spirit is, there's liberty. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would teach us about that freedom we have in Christ. What it means to walk in freedom. What does it mean to live in freedom? For you came to set the captives free, you say. And so I pray your Holy Spirit begin to move mightily this morning through the teaching of your word. We thank you, we praise you, we honor you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. So the first thing, we're going to look at three things this morning. First one's going to be, can we trust the discipline of self? Can we trust the discipline of self? I first want you to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, looking at verses 24 to 27. So if, you, if you're in Romans, you want to go to your right. Okay, a little bit. We're going to start there, and then we're going to jump back to Romans chapter 5 in a moment. But we first have to do is begin to define discipline. Because a lot of people, when you think of discipline, right, you have different things that come to your mind. The Webster's Dictionary defines discipline as this, the practice of training people to obey the rules or codes of behavior, or using punishment to correct disobedience, right? So you have discipline, which is really putting things in order to ball or or for those who get in trouble, discipline is, might be a spanking of the bottom, okay? So there's different ideas about discipline. Paul the Apostle is addressing the Corinthian church in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. He's dealing with the issue of discipline. And I want you to catch this this morning as I read it. Starting at verse 24, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul is giving a word picture about an athlete, about discipline, about structure, about order. And you know what? In verse 24, he's laying out really the vision of discipline in that passage. Because in order to, in our life, we need to have vision. We need to, to have purpose. We need to have direction, guys. And, and maybe in your life, you haven't set that in order. I want to encourage you, first of all, you set vision in your life. What is it that you would like to see God perform and do? What is the vision for your family? What is the vision for your marriage? What is the vision for your purpose in life? You have to write out that vision. Here in verse 24, he lays out a vision, right? Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, only one person gets surprised? So run to win. Run to, to win. We want to we we have success in what we do, right? We, we, we need to take steps of faith so we could have 
purpose, right? So we see that, first of all, there's a, there's a physical win on this side of heaven. We want to be successful. Some of you are going to college. You want to graduate from college, right? And you want to be successful in the work that you, disciplines that you've been practicing and studying in order to put them into life application wherever you might be. But he says, that's good, but we also have one, a, a spiritual win too, Amen. There's a physical success, but there's also an eternal perspective or, or purpose because we want to win a prize, but he gets into that. But there's disciplines to make that happen. In fact, in verse 25 of Corinthians 9, it says, it translates the word discipline as temperate in King James Version, as temperate. In fact, that word means to be self-controlled. We know that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, right? We know that in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is self-control. To be self-controlled. It's the concept in a, in a figure drawn from athletes who are preparing themselves for the games to abstain from wholesome food or wine or sexual indulgences. We know that the Summer Olympics are coming this summer and the athletes have been preparing themselves. They've been disciplining themselves that they could have the win, and some of them have been exercising this discipline for, for many, many years. And they're disciplining themselves to, to, to win a prize, to that, win that gold medal. That's the, that's the object. The gold medal is the object of their discipline. Guys, discipline is not bad. Okay, I want you to see that. Dis discipline is order. We need to have disciplines in, in our lives, right? But as much as Tom Brady is such a disciplined athlete, if you watch what he does, he, he sleeps a certain amount of hours, he eats a certain amount of foods, and he has a certain amount of diet, and he, he gets up at four or five in the morning to, to watch videotape and put things into practice. That's a discipline, a, a strong discipline, but he wins to win, to win a prize, which we saw him win the Super Bowl, the Lombardi Trophy, but he's winning a trophy that's what? It says it right here. It's going to perish. That metal is going to get rusty. It's going to sit on a shelf. Though you might have the history of that, right, the discipline, but that's not eternal prize. Guys, we discipline ourselves for an eternal prize. That one that lasts forever. The one that is eter eternal, right? So discipline for us, discipline for us has an eternal purpose, right? Paul is saying, I'm, I'm not trying to preach in a way that discredits me, I, 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 to be hypocritical, he says, to, to, I don't want to be a stumbling block, I don't want to be disqualified, and I've disciplined myself in living out a life in such a way that I, I'm, I'm being disciplined, that if I'm not being disciplined, I don't want to disqualify myself or be cast away. I want to live a life of discipline in the faith so I can walk this walk. They're setting some orders. He even uses the issue here as he's talking about athletes and shadow boxing. I'm not just beating the air. I'm not just shadow boxing. Some of us, because we're undisciplined, we're shadow boxing and we're fatigued. We're, we're, we're investing in things we shouldn't be investing in. We, we're putting things in, things that, you know, you know, it's crazy. Like you would think on a day that you want to rest, like you want to have a rest day. What do we do? Well, I'll just watch TV. Because I just want to rest, right? In this COVID situation, a lot of us have probably been binge watching, right? And stuff. And we think that's rest. But by the end of the day, you realize that you're more exhausted than you were at the beginning of the day. Right? That you, in some ways, you were shadow boxing. You weren't refueling. You weren't refreshing. You were, you, you were exhausted. He says, I'm not living a life that I'm just beating the air where I'm just getting exhausted by what I'm doing, right? I'm not getting tired. See, in the disciplines of life, we have grace 
to cover even our smallest shortcomings, okay? Discipline can only take us so far. Grace is the covering of our failed disciplines, right? Right? Now, I want you to see that. So we have Paul said the idea of this discipline, but now I want you to jump over to Romans chapter five because we're, we're gonna continue this thought about grace and discipline here. When you jump back to Romans chapter five, we're gonna see the first Adamic nature, the first Adam. There's two Adams in the Bible. There's the Adam we find in Genesis, and then there's the second Adam, which is actually Christ, because Adam is a type of Christ. You'll see that in Romans chapter 5. We're going to see here. You're going to see it also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It talks about the, the one gives life, one gives death, one gives life. First Adam brings death, the second Adam brings life. Okay? But let's look at the first Adam out of Romans 5, 12 through 14. I want to read it. It says, Therefore... Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. For until the law of sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was the type of him who was to come. Now, verse 12 opens up with the word therefore. And therefore is therefore a reason. Okay, it's there for a reason because it's, it's a continuous thought of what's being said earlier in the, in the chapter in verses 1 through 11. It's, it's giving some thoughts there, right? What was happening in the beginning of the chapter was this, that we are justified by faith through grace. Now we are at peace with God. Therefore, when we were without strength, his enemy, his enemy in storing up God's wrath, Christ demonstrated his love in that he died for us, that we are now reconciled to God. Therefore, see the thought that's going on? He's, he's playing off this thinking here. But he takes us in verses 12 to 14, he takes us to a little, in the past, he takes us to a little history lesson, okay? Verse 12 is really the cliff notes of the version of Genesis chapter 3 of the fall. That's what it is. He's, he's summing up the, the first chapter 3 in, in one verse, Therefore, you college students, you know what cliff notes are, right? They're cheat books. Okay, is what they are, right? They help you summarize things. They help you bring things in the context of, of what's going on in chapter, verse 12 is the cliff notes of Genesis chapter 3, because it says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. What, what happened in Genesis chapter 3? God had given Adam a specific command of not to eat of the tree, of life, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'm sorry. If he does, he would surely die. That was, that was the command given, right? It was one law given for Adam to follow. One command, one law God had given Adam to obey, right? I would say that Adam needed to practice discipline and some self-control in the garden, God, in fact, if you read the story of the creation, he creates this beautiful garden and, and then he creates a man and he creates Adam and he says, Adam, this garden is, is beautiful and it's for you. You can have everything in the garden except the, 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 the tree of, 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 of tree of good and evil. Don't partake of that. But everything else you can partake of. It's yours. Here's the animals. Tend to them. Here's the job I give to you. In fact, you're alone. I'm going to make you a woman. And so he created a woman from the side of man, from the rib of man. And now there's partners in that. And for whatever reason, maybe Adam didn't communicate that one command to Eve. Wasn't the covering 
of that woman in that marriage relationship because when the serpent came in, what happened? He came to the woman, but the man was present with the woman, if you read this text in Genesis 3, and he tempted the woman, the woman partake, and then turned and gave Adam, and they both partake, and then sin entered into all humanity. That We call that the fall. We, we see the fall taking place in Genesis chapter 3. I can only imagine this. Adam lived in a perfect environment. Adam lived in a perfect environment, no sin, till temptation crept in by the serpent. And both Adam and Eve partook of the fruit and sin and death infected all humanity. And so from Adam, he gave us sin through imputation. Through imputation. He deposited our account so that we were born into it. What they did had a lasting effect to this present day. Death spread through all men. This was worse than COVID. Okay, this was worse than COVID. The only vaccination for this disease is the coming hope, which is the second Adam, Jesus. The second Adam, right? He, Adam and them and his wife went from the penthouse to the outhouse in one decision. Okay, they messed it up. Okay, okay. The law didn't make provision for self-control here, right? It only tested it. Did you hear that? The law didn't make provision for self-control. It only tested it. The law was do not partake of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was the test. That was the command. That was the law. It's testing it's the temptation of where we're going to do it, right? And people still died from the time of Adam to Moses when the law wasn't even given because of the imputation. There was no law given until Exodus chapter 20. Remember when he goes with the mountain, gets the Ten Commandments? And so from the time of creation until Exodus 20, there was no law. There was no law given. The Ten Commandments were not given. But still sin was present. And so death entered in is what, what it's saying here in 13 and 14. But we see in the latter part of verse 14 that Adam is a type of Jesus. We see the hope. We see the hope here. Even in the discipline, we have hope. Okay? The first Adam is a type of him who is to come. Jesus is the second Adam in verse 14. The one who will impute to us his righteousness. So the first Adam imputed death. The second Adam imputed righteousness, his righteousness. We talked about that last, last week. So our righteousness comes by him, not by our disciplines. Not by our good acts, but by the gift of God's imputation of his goodness in us and on us. His so both Adam gave us life, right? First, Adam gave us physical life. In fact, his name means humanity. The humanity. And the second Adam, Jesus, gave us eternal life. In fact, he gave us abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven. If you look at all that Jesus had done. So let's look for a second at the, the, the hope of the second Adam in 15 to 17, because I want you to see this, the hope of what the second Adam brings in light of the first Adam. Look at 15. But the free gift is not like the offense, for by the one man's offense many died. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to many. If you have your Bible, you can underline that. Highlight it. And the gift is not like that which comes to one who sinned, for judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, and much more those who received abundance of grace and of the righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. 
Look at the legacy you see here. First of all, the legacy of the first Adam was death, and the legacy of the second Adam was life. They each left a legacy. They left a mark on all humanity, right? We see the condemning work of Adam and the redemptive work of Christ in this passage. You're seeing the work of this hope of the second Adam. The hope that was offered was not discipline, but grace that would abound to many. I want you to catch that. He gave us his grace. The first Adam let us down. The second Adam lifted us up. He granted and he rained grace upon us. He poured on his unmerited, undeserved, and unearned grace. So the risk of discipline can, can, can make life burdensome, but grace can make life burden-free. Because what happens when we start acting like discipline? We put discipline, we actually put such discipline, we put heaviness sometimes on ourselves, right? And when we don't meet the standard of the discipline, we feel guilty. And I talked about that a couple of weeks back. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying discipline is not good. We need discipline. But we need balance in that discipline, okay? Because keeping the commands can be burdensome. That's the discipline of the law, Right? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Now, here it is. And his commandments are not burdensome. Okay? Yes, God gave us some commandments. He, he gave us things to live, but he, he wasn't trying to put this heavy yoke on us. He wasn't trying to put this heavy rock or this thing upon us to, to weigh us down. That, that was not the purpose of the commands. But we could see that the law... Or the commands can bring condemnation, right? The consequences of the first Adam, or his decision you make, was condemnation. You see that in verse 16. It brought condemnation. Because of sin, we were given a death sentence. We were damned and without hope, right? As hard as we want to try, we were without hope apart from Christ. In fact, as disciplined as we can be, like the Jews disciplined in the law, apart from Christ, we're still without hope. Because, because even Jesus said, you think the words that I wrote you save you, <laughs> he told the religious leaders. You think the law saves you. You think because you do everything that was written saves you. In fact, they took all the Ten Commandments, they three other commandments, and they had a thing that was called the Talmud with the Jewish culture. There was like a, a commentary on the commandments that they made up, and then they would just right, and try to live according to those commandments, and they would try to be good through those commandments and through those disciplines in their lives, and they didn't find life, they found death. See, see, we can be disciplined and still not have life. Our hope is found in the justification by faith found in Christ. We see that in 16 and 17 in Romans 5. We see it there. We are, we are acquitted of our sins, not by the discipline of being good, but by his grace through faith. Okay? No, no, no matter how many offenses, his grace is sufficient. God is good. He's good. Our righteousness, abundance of grace is found in the one Jesus himself. So discipline is good, but it's not sufficient for all. It has its limitations. It has its limitations. Right. Think about it this way. Think of the discipline of prayer, right? We know that we're called to pray. We have the, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father's Prayer in there. But when Jesus went up to the 
Garden of Gethsemane prior to his death, he took the disciples up, right? And what did he ask them to do? Pray, right? Could you just pray for one hour? And they went up there and they fell asleep for one hour. They had the discipline of prayer. They were called to be watchful and to pray and to come pray, but they couldn't even do it for one hour, right? I think that's why Jesus turned to them and said, watch and pray lest you enter temptation because the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Because as much as that we have discipline, our flesh could still be weak. We could have moments of failure. We could have moments of fatigue. We could have moments even in the midst of our discipline, right? Think about, um, we just got off the Daniel fast, right? And I remember we were going shopping with my wife and I, we were looking at all the containers of, okay, can we eat this or not eat this? Does this have sugar and not sugar? And, and we found this, um, these chips that we thought were, were, I don't know, were sugar-free or was something grain-free. We thought, okay, yeah, this matches so we can eat these chips because we got them at, you know, Trader Joe's. Everything's healthy at Trader Joe's. <laughs> And so we bought them, and we were eating them, and then we realized, oh, snap, these don't meet the guidelines to the Daniel fast after we started eating them. And we're like, oh, I was looking at God, are you going to strike me down? You know, did I fall short? My point is this, guys, as much as I had the discipline, the heart was it. Now, remember, there's the law, and there's the spirit of the law. We're living in the spirit of the law because wherever the spirit is what? Freedom. Everybody say Freedom. The law is good. Jesus came to fulfill the law, but he added to the fact that the spirit of the law is what we're trying to get here, and that's found in grace here. Here's the second thing. Do we, the first one is, do we find, you know, can we find strength and discipline? Second, we can trust in the grace of God. We can trust the grace. Look at verses 18 to 21 in Romans 5 here. Before COVID, I was going to the gym pretty regularly with some of the guys and we would lift weights. And we would, we would do bench presses. They would, and, and when we did bench presses, they would, they would spot me. You know, as uh, Sean and, and Chris and I would go, and, you know, um, and we were working out together and stuff. I think, Noah, you went a couple times with us and stuff. And I remember we were lifting these weights, and the idea was you bench press there, and then you would put this weight on, and then you would lift this weight, and you would push this weight, and you'd try to do as many reps as you, you could, Right? And you keep doing it, you keep pressing that bench press. But as you got tired, you made a lot of groaning noises and grunting noises, and your arms begin to, to shake, right? And then the voice of your spotter would begin to yell at you. That's comforting. <laughs> Harder, you got this. One more time, do it. And you're like, dude, shut up. You're like, you're, you're grunting, right? And then on that last lift, right? When you seem to run out of gas, the, damage, the, the spotter demonstrates some mercy, mercy and grace when he grabs the bar and puts it on the rack. That's grace. That's grace, right? Listen, listen. God is our spiritual spotter. And when the heaviness of trials come and you feel pain of your circumstances, your grasps and the grunting becomes life is difficult, God's grace steps in, carries the weight, picks it up, and puts it on the rack. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. Okay, can, first of all, can I trust the work of Christ? We're going to look at the work of Christ before we're going to start the grace of God. Okay, 
Look at verses 18 19. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act of the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, but also, so also by one man's obedience, many would be made righteous. What is he saying here in verse 18? You say, guess what? The weight is lifted by the cross. He racked it by the cross. Is what he did. Again, there's their word, therefore. It's therefore for a reason. In light of Adam's failure, we find a future hope in Christ. The first Adam polluted us by his one offense. The second Adam purified us by his righteousness. Okay? The righteous act of one man gave liberty to all who believed, and he provided freedom from sin, shame, sadness we feel today. That's the grace of God. That's the love of God. In fact, Romans 5, 6 to 11, the ESV version, right? The ESV fills in the blank of this, this thought. For while we were still sinners, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person. Two, perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God showed us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him through the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Uh, that's a lot there. You can go back and read it. But the basics is, while well, we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were, out, we were without strength, we were weak. We couldn't pull it off. We couldn't pull our back. Because we couldn't get it right. We couldn't do any of those things. Even if you did, even if you had all the disciplines and you had in order, even if you were successful, even if you had all the things you wanted in life, you're still apart from God. Amen. And he demonstrated his love for us. Even when we had it all and when we had nothing, he died for us. Because we were apart from him there. And so the word therefore I said is there again. As Adam got us in a dilemma, Christ just got out of us, got it out of us. Right, got us out of it. We see that in verse 19. We, we were trapped, but God set us free. Okay, one man's disobedience, one man's rebellion. Because of that, many were made sinners, the imputation of sin, right? But one man's obedience made us righteous. Christ's discipline on the cross strengthens us. That's Hebrews, right? He, he was obedient. He knew obedience through suffering and his obedience to the cross. God's discipline is what saved us. Philippians 2 8 says, being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the discipline of God. That's the discipline of love. He went to the cross with all joy, writes in Hebrew. Why did he go with all joy? Because we were his joy. We were his motivation. So I can, t I can trust the work of the cross, but I could also trust the work of grace. I could also touch, trust the work of grace this morning. Look at 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might be abound, but where sin abounds, here it is, grace abounds much more. So that sin reigned in death, even so grace reigned through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
the first part of 20, basically, as God's law worked to reveal man's sin. God's law just came to say, we fall short. Even if you're disciplined, you still fall short. Even if you try to put all your ducks in a row, you still fall short. This is what it's saying here. In fact, that phrase can also be translated in verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. To increase the trespass. What, what do you mean by that? It means to show us that we have fallen short, that we've increased in our sin, right? Think about it for a moment. If I remember, when, when you say don't do something to a little kid, right? Don't cross the line. What are they going to do? Cross the line. Right? Right, they're gonna they're gonna cross the line. Isn't that what God the Lord did to Adam? Don't eat a tree of good and evil. Don't cross the line. Don't touch it. Why? Because the sinfulness of man's heart draws us to break the law. Right? The sinfulness of man's heart. Now they the law isn't bad. The law isn't bad. But the law reveals the heart's human nature or the human condition of man. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 3. Be careful when they say, oh, just trust your heart. Your heart can be deceitful. Be careful. Be careful of that. Okay? But I want you to understand that God's grace is sufficient. We see that in 20 and 21 of Romans 5, right? As sin increases, grace increases. Do you hear that? As sin increases, grace increases. You would think that sin increases, God's anger would increase. But that's not the nature of God and the Father, right? We talked about our Heavenly Father. The love for a Father is gracious. Our Heavenly Father is gracious. Some of us think, oh man, I messed up. God's just ready to bring the belt, man. The discipline, right? He wants to bring the discipline. No, we know that God disciplines those he loves. Okay, okay, so don't get me wrong. But he's not taking pleasure in the discipline. Right? He's not taking pleasure in that. You know, when the dad comes to the son, you know, and disciplines him. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> when I got it, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I don't think so. <laughs> right? That's right? But what we see here is sin increases, grace increases, increases. And just as sin reigned leading to death, God's grace rules, gives us a right standing before God. His grace gives us a right standing for him, right? Why? Because God's grace is stronger than our sin. I want you to hear that. God's grace is stronger than our sin. That's why you can trust it. So the challenge is this, is trying to understand God's love and grace. I think we don't understand it. That's why Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in intimacy with him. Understand his love. A lot of times we read the Bible, we see the law, we don't see his love. We have to be careful of that, right? In fact, you only have to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Paul is struggling with a, a thorn in his flesh. You know the story, right? Some believe a lot of different things about what that thorn is. Some might have been, they thought it could have been physical health because of all the travels and malaria. His eyes would ooze. Some thought it might have been emotional uh, uh, strain and, and mental health issues because of prior to his life, before he knew Christ, uh, he killed a lot of people. He did a lot of violent things. So there was a past to him. 
Some thought it was physical. Some thought it was mental. But whatever it is, the enemy, Satan used it. And Paul was filling it in his life. And so he goes before the Lord. He says, Lord, can you remove this thorn, this, this, buff, this thing that's hurting me? It's oppressing me. And he pleaded for him three times. And God said, no. He said, no. Why? My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he says this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see the paradox? I want you to see this a little bit. We, we think we need to be strong in this culture. We need to have it together. We need to have the disciplines. We need to have success. We need to have all the, H, you know, the, the PhDs and the AMDs and, and all this. When God just took a bunch of knuckleheads that had GEDs and ADDs. Because when I'm weak, he makes me strong. God is always working in paradox. It's always opposite. You want life, lose your life. You keep your life, you lose your life. You give your life away, you find it. It's always opposite with God. Your greatest strength could be your greatest weakness because in me, I can work through your weakness. I'm working through your weakness and your imperfections and your quirkiness. I have a dog. His name's Benny. He's weird. Some of you don't met my dog, Benny. I don't know. He hates postmen, deliverymen. I don't know who it is. When you come to my house, you'll run to the window and he'll just growl. This is a little dog that sounds like a pit bull. And it, we, we, he, he, uh, we, he was a rescue dog. We got him. He, he actually was from TJ. He's legal. He's got his papers. Okay. Listen. Listen, we got him. He was like mangy, mangy dog. Okay. Like ball, we had to treat him so he got his hair back. But when people come over, we have to put him outside in the backyard and people come in. And then when they're in, then we let him in the house because then he doesn't get mean. He's, he's friendly. I think last, last women's gathering, I think he went to each one of you when we brought him in. Said hello. Like he was quirky. Like he's got quirks in him. He's, he's, he, something's not all clicking in here. Some of you are like the Benjis in here. You're not all clicking. But in your weakness, God's still using you. In your, in your brokenness, God's still using you. In, in, in your imperfections, God's still... Because that's the grace of God. He uses you. That's what Paul's saying here. In fact, he's telling Paul, the reason I ain't making you well, because you'll get prideful, Paul, in your work. You think it's about you. Remember, you said you're saved by grace. Not a works that you should boast. If it was about you, you would be boasting in your work. But I'm going to take that away from you because it's, in my, it's my grace that makes you strong. It's your weakness that I make you strong. That's the point that we're getting here. Sometimes we find our strength in the discipline. We really didn't find our strength in his grace. In his grace. And so I close with this, guys. Grace is not for just imputation, but impartation. Okay, I know those are big words. We'll get it. We'll define it right now. First, go to 2 Timothy 2.1. There's a section that has all the T's in your Bible. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Go to that area, to your right of Romans. Okay. 2 Timothy 2.1 says this. You therefore, my sons, my daughters, be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, let me give you a little context to who he's writing to. 
Paul's writing to a young man named Timothy, probably in his 30s, who wanted to be a pastor. But Timothy had some issues. He was sickly, like he had stomach problems. Paul would say, take a little wine to calm your stomach because you're nervous. You got a nervous condition. You're sickly, right? You're insecure. You're fearful. You have emotional problems and you want to be a pastor? Man, you'll fit perfect. Okay. But what did Paul say? He, he didn't say, be strong in discipline, be strong physically, be strong emotionally, get it together. He said, be strong in grace. You know, when you're driving down the street and you get a flat tire, you, you pull over, you got to change that tire, right? And you're not going to lift up. You don't have the strength to lift up that car yourself. You got to get a jack and lift it up. For some of you who, maybe you call AAA, right? And then an assistant comes and helps you put a jack on it. But the jack, when you put it on the ground and it gets into the car, it, it uses the leverage on the ground. And you just crank the little thing there, little bar, and it jacks up your car, right? It's, it's leveraging, you're leveraging the power of that jack. What Paul, what Paul is saying to Timothy, leverage the power of my grace. Leverage the power of my grace is what I want you to do. That's why he says, be strong in grace. Because when you learn the powers of my grace, I get the glory. God gets the glory. He's already given you imputation. What's that? Imputation means he's giving you his righteousness. Just like Adam, the first time imputated us, gave us his sin. Jesus, the second time, gave us his righteousness. Imputation. He made us righteous. We are justified by faith. We have been blessed by God's righteous gift. We have been made right before God and our position has changed and we hold on to that truth. Impartation is that we're called to live righteously. So he's made us righteous to live, to make, to also we can live righteously. Okay, to live right, right? There is an action to grace. There is an action to grace. Paul is commanding the young pastor to be strong in grace in 2 Timothy, right? Gracious living is to be practiced. Guys, we need to be gracious with one another when we fall short. You need to be gracious with your husbands when we fall short. Husbands, be gracious with your wives when they fall short. Parents, you need to be gracious with your kids when they don't meet your standards, your discipline, your structure. We need to be gracious. We need to be strong in grace because if God extended grace to us, we're called to extend grace to one another. If God's been gracious to me, I need to be gracious to one another. If he's given me that gift, then we need to give that gift to others to be gracious. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says this, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, right? To freedom. We, that's what we're talking about, being free to Christ. Called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, for self, but through love, serve one another. Use our liberty to serve one another. Use our grace to serve one another, right? Some believe, well, Pete, this doesn't make sense. That means if, if I have this grace, I can live any way I want to live, right? Because I have grace. Because you said when sin increases, grace increases. Hold that thought. We'll get to that next week. <laughs> that's, that's Romans 6. That's the, we're ending in Romans 5. You go to Romans 6, 1, we'll get into that issue. Okay. But this is, this is how I look at life in my own walk. If I'm going to err, I want to err on the side of grace. I want to err on the side of grace. I want to be gracious with others because our strength comes by graciously serving others. And that's what I'm, I'm calling you. You want liberty in your life? Be gracious. 
I close with this verse, Titus 2, 11 through 14, if you're taking notes, Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has now appeared to all men. Who is the grace? That's God. Jesus appeared to all men. He's the grace of God. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify us for his own special people, zealous for good works. Grace has appeared, that's Jesus. That's Christ incarnate, the word became flesh. And grace instructed us to hate evil and live righteously. We see that in verse 12. Grace keeps us watchful looking for his return and our blessed hope. We see that in 13. Grace purifies us as his special people in verse 14. Grace empowers us for passion service in verse 14. That's what grace does. That's the power of grace there. So I close and remind you of these three thoughts as we partake of communion. Be careful about trusting in the discipline of self. Discipline itself can only take us so far. We can trust in the grace of God, in the grace of God, in his work of grace. And grace is not just for imputation, we're just not made righteous, but impartation, we're called to live righteous. But we do it in the grace of God. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day and for your love and blessings and your goodness and mercy and grace. And I pray your blessings this morning on your people. Father, they would understand the grace of God. They would understand the goodness of God. Father, we have disciplines. You've given us disciplines in your words to live by. But they're helps for us. But ultimately, your grace covers us. And so I pray your blessings upon your people that they would understand that freedom, that thought. It's not about trying harder. It's about trying to work harder and be stronger. As we studied, it's in our weakness that you make us strong. So I pray your blessings upon your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.